On this episode of EdTech, we talk about the cloud, the CCUMC rebrand, and the ideal classroom. All that and more on this episode. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. This is EdTech episode 101, The Ideal Classroom. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. Hello, AV friends, and welcome back to another episode of EdTech. Today, we have our awesome panel of higher ed AV professionals. We'll start with the intros with Ernie Bailey. Well, uh, hello. Glad to be back again. Uh, it's good to see everybody. Uh, talked about what are we thankful for. Uh, I think I'm thankful to be over COVID. Uh, <laughs> I was still in quarantine the last time we recorded. I'm back in the office. Uh, so... Thankful for that. Thankful for family and a job. Well, fantastic. I'm glad that you're feeling better now and back at it. And with us is Rob Raspberry. How you doing, Rob? Hey, doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, and since it is the season of being thankful and thankful for family, good health, and most of all, I'm thankful for being here with all of you. This is always a great thing to be involved with. Fantastic. And of course, Scott Tyner, how are you? I'm doing well, Aaron. Thank you. Uh, let's see, what am I thankful for? We, uh, my, my wife and I actually uh, sold our house in April to, to get a, a jump on the real estate market uh, and have finally over the past few weeks uh, closed on and, and moved into a, a new house that is downsized as our kids are getting ready to be out of college and we're all alone. So I'm thankful we'll be in a house for the holidays. That is fantastic. And if you don't know me, I'm Erin Marmoran. And what I'm thankful for um, is, it is so much. It is everything. And uh, uh, But essentially, this year, I'm very much happy to have all of my friends and family happy and healthy. And of course, I'm thankful that I get to do this and host this podcast. So without further ado, I will jump into the, uh, the articles for this month. So the first one we'll talk about is from mytechdecisions.com. Um, it's about uh, public cloud spending set for over 20% growth. Um, now, how, do we, how does this translate into the education space. Goodness gracious, where do you start with that one? So, <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in, I don't know how it is in a, in a number of institutions, but, you know, I know here that um, we are a little understaffed and anything that can, in, in essence, take some um, resources and put them in the hands of, you know, a, a cloud setup for certain things is always a help. So it's like, you know, whether it's, you know, server, uh, hosting, any kind of thing like that. So let's, and maybe I should throw this out. Let's take a look. Zoom. 
is Zoom cloud? Is Zoom considered cloud? I, I think it might be. Um, and so that's like a service where, you know, you're not doing something locally. Um, you know, I mean, like with a team server that could be hosted locally or in the cloud. But I think a, a lot of taking a lot of resources, putting them in the hands of somebody else that's, you know, very reliable helps an IT department focus on other things that might be more pertinent, especially in an educational institution. So, I mean, it, it seems like a lot of stuff is, keeps going virtual, more resources, more technology, that kind of thing. So it, it just seems like it's a natural trend. I've seen it, you know, I've been here 17 years. I've seen a lot of on-prem go to cloud, you know, setups. So uh, it makes sense. Absolutely. I feel like, um, especially with, um, virtual processing now uh, becoming more and more prevalent that that takes, it helps from a sustainability standpoint too, because then there's less boxes going into landfills and, um, you know, less waste in general. Um, although then you probably have to weigh that with the, how much power it takes to run these servers that are remote um, to, you know, offset that, but it still seems like it's, it's promising at least. I think so. And, uh, like you were saying, uh, the virtualization that we're seeing, I guess, I, when we first started seeing virtual servers pop up in IT, that was kind of, uh, the beginning of the cloud, maybe a fog instead of a cloud. Uh, but it, that's kind of evolved into what we're seeing now. We're seeing more and more things, and we're, I think, becoming more confident in the capabilities and the reliability of cloud services. We, I still see, you know, we're a health science campus, so there's uh, still a lot of trepidation, maybe, uh, nervousness when it gets to, you know, we may not have quick, fast enough access to our health records or uh, the tools that we need, well, we're finding that it's sometimes more reliable than having it sitting on a server just two buildings over when you have it managed with redundant, you know, a lot more redundancy uh, and 24-7 support that sometimes hard to provide on site. So I think, you know, as the confidence level builds, we're seeing it more uh, business and education and even in our home services. Like Rob was saying, Zoom is definitely a cloud product. Uh, we use several different communication packages similar to Zoom. We use Zoom, we use Teams, we use Blackboard Collaborate, and we're running them all as cloud services. Uh, we've moved uh, almost all of our uh, office suite campus-wide uh, to the cloud. And, you know, once you get the nervousness out of the faculty members. Uh, I think it, it's running very well. Uh, you know, we are having to teach everyone about uh, multi-factor authentication, which comes right along with it to make sure that you, you are secure and you are who you said you are. Uh, and it's caused some changes in the classrooms that we've done, but it's been a lot smoother than what I expected. We had a forced change, a lot of, of several of our products to multi-factor authentication in the classroom. And we used to have automatic login for all of our, we have uh, room-based computers for the instructors to use. And now instead of using our generic login, 
and just coming in and you know doing a PowerPoint presentation or going to a website. They have to come in and sign as, as themselves. And that started this semester. And some of the changes on campus that forced that were moving so many things to the cloud. And you know, we didn't we had like three weeks to warn the faculty that student changes were going to take place in the classrooms. And it you know, there were a few hiccups, a few instructors who didn't read the email and didn't pay attention, but for the most part, it went very smooth. And I think that's, you know, because of the cloud experience that people are seeing in all parts of their life now, whether it's uh, their Gmail or their Google account or whatever, they're, they're getting the same thing at home and they're becoming more comfortable with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And isn't that the way at pretty much all of our institutions where, nobody reads the email <laughs> we've made these changes and like what it what what do i have to do now like didn't you read the email no <laughs> of course not i think i i think it what what ernie and, and rob said is is just they hit the nail on the head I, I think one of the other really big places we might see it in education is the desktop as a service uh we know students need need computers now and if you can be getting a, a 200 or 300 dollar chromebook or you can use a six-year-old computer because you just you boost some RAM and open up a web browser and you can do everything you need to do. It it's it it changes uh, the the finances for these students who are trying to uh, finish their their schooling and it's it's fantastic. So many of the products we use every day, as as Ernie said, they're they're all moving to the cloud. Ones that that used to not even be in the cloud. Some of the academic software applications. Every year, there's two or three more that move to the cloud. Um, so I, I think that'll be another big area that education sees a big difference in. Absolutely. And I, I'm not sure where your departments lie um, in your university structure, but mine falls under IT. And it seems like um, like as a service or subscription uh, style things seem to almost be an easier sell than buying a whole product. They'd rather pay for it per month, per year as a subscription service than buy like a one-time box. And uh, so at least in the IT crowd, it seems like that's almost an easier sell. So I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's keep moving <laughs> with that. Yeah, it certainly cuts down on, it's interesting. That, I mean, there's that whole other argument about capital versus uh, operating expenditures and which which ones different people's finance officers are more comfortable with. Um, but I think that a, a school from a financial aspect, just needs to make a decision. Are, are we cloud first or not? Because if you're cloud first, then nobody likes saying it, but then you can actually reduce some of your network and infrastructure staff to pay for those services. But if you're trying to do half and half, you're paying more for cloud, but you've also got all these staffs in here that are trying to maintain half the sets of servers that are still running. Um, so I think there are, that there are some decisions to be made there of to of what... Uh, what focus the school wants to take. Absolutely. So the next one that we are looking at is from higheredav.com. Um, Higher Ed AV Media is kind of the, you know, up and coming, the only higher ed AV, like specific media uh, outlet. And so they've posted an article about CCUMC rebranding. Um, uh, if you're not familiar with what CCUMC stands for, it's the Consortium of College and University Media Centers. 
Um, so they have decided to change their name to the Educational Technology Collaborative, or ETC. Uh, it's a little, rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. And definitely, even though it's a shorter title, I think it um, it makes more sense to uh, address what exactly they are. Um, and I don't know if any of your schools are members of, C of ETC. Yeah, we're, we're a member, and I've been to uh, a few conferences. One of my favorite was actually right about this time a few years ago in San Antonio. Um, this, is, this is brilliant, and it's really it, it's long overdue. I, I actually think the, the old name uh, confused people as to what the heck it was. Is this, what, what is a yeah. media center? Is this really an area for me? So I, I think this is a brilliant move. Well, uh, kind of like Scott was saying, you know, when I've tried to get some interest drawn up here, uh, especially with, within the IT uh, and audiovisual groups, uh, when they look at it and they look at the title and they look at the members, uh, it's that's librarians. Our library people should be going to this, not our technology people. And I think this rebranding may give me a, a new opportunity to get us involved. I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, marketing and branding definitely matter. Yes. Uh, the two groups that, <clears throat> that I manage do distinctly different things. One is instructional media services, which is more classroom technology. And then the other one is video collaboration and production, which is like Zoom, Teams, streaming, video production. So it's very centric. And it, it's interesting because I think Infocom sort of went the other way. They made a longer title, but it's just as relevant. Audiovisual and Integrated Experience Association. That's sort of cool. But I think the CCUMC branding definitely, like you said, is brilliant, uh, Scott. So it's a good thing. People will pay more attention, I think. And for those of us who were on the edge or thinking, well, should I go this? Should I join this? I think that's going to uh, sway a few people in their direction. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, the that organization, I had never considered really being a member of um, my, since my team does fall under IT and not the um, library media center. It just, it didn't seem like the right fit for me, but now I'm like, oh, that's uh, looks way more um, appealing. Um, and Funny thing is, is that the first university that I had worked for, their classroom technology department was part of the, it was under the same umbrella as the Media Resource Center, and it was called ETC, the Educational Technology Center. So, of course, when I saw the rebrand, I was like, oh, because I always, <laughs> always have a place in my heart for uh, that department. Um, but yeah, so I'm, th I'm thinking that it looks definitely like an, a better, uh, you know, maybe more universities will jump on board as uh, as members at this point. And I mean, it, I know, Aaron, I think you you went to the conference this this year. Is that true? Did you go I to? Did not. I you did not. OK, year, no. I, I haven't been for a couple of years, really, again, mostly mostly COVID uh, to put a plug in. It, it's a fantastic conference. It's one of those. It, it's small enough that you get to meet all kinds of people, great networking. It really is AV technology focused. I went to uh, one in Utah and one in San Antonio, um, and they were both in incredibly valuable. Um, 
and they move it around the country. So if you can't get all the way out to Utah one year, you can get a little bit closer to, to where you are next year, depending on, on, on your geography. So um, for anybody who's listening, it, it, it's a it's a great group and it's a great conference. Absolutely. And for anybody who's interested in attending next year, it is being hosted by USC. So it'll be in SoCal. And is it is it going to be in the fall again? I'm trying to I'm trying to decide the good time to be at in Southern California. <laughs> I believe it is. Yeah, I think, okay. you're, I think it's going to be the same time frame. So, but I mean, is there a bad time to be in Southern California? Yeah, it's it's not like it'll be uh, middle of winter in Wisconsin. So it's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, probably not one to attend. But. Well, all right. So then we can also talk about the next article is the ideal classroom on um ravepubs.com written by scott tyner and um so scott do you want to kind of start off uh introing this this article since you wrote it Sure. I mean, last time we recorded last month, we talked about innovation. And then I think you proposed the question of what is what is the ideal classroom? And, and even during the conversation after I, I got thinking and I'm I'll, I'll put put it straight out there. I'm not a very creative person. It, it, it's why I'm not in the design field and the like. Um, but what I, at the same time, I, I'd love to think about what if you could think about the perfect thing and, and money didn't matter or even physics at the moment didn't matter what what would a perfect classroom look like? Because um, there are really creative people out there who are doing some really crazy things. I mean, to me, wireless charging, right? I mean, we used to laugh about the day when you went out to plug something into charge, and we, I thought it was impossible. And yet, today, you can sit your phone on a table and it will charge. Um, so, what are things that just are just crazy? What would make a classroom perfect and ideal? Um, and let those creative people really kind of take that and run with it and, and grow and, and develop um, some of these things. And certainly I, I know that some of the things I mentioned in this article are, are not news to, to Aaron, Rob and Ernie about how our screens always block our blackboards and how really a whiteboard doesn't really help because then there's a hotspot. And, but, but so what is it? Is it laptops in the hands of everybody? Is it assistive listening and um, other things that are just all built in and so easy to use? Scott and I were talking a little bit before we came on, but uh, I had a meeting with some faculty leaders. We meet once a month, and I pointed out that budget time is coming up. Uh, what do we need to see in the classrooms? Are there new widgets or gizmos you need to see in your lecture halls or classrooms? And the executive associate dean of the College of Medicine said, I was in one of the small rooms the other day, and he, he said, we need good cameras, good microphones, and speakers in every classroom. He said, uh, the video conferencing is here to stay. He said, it's, we've seen the big changes of it since the beginning of COVID. And we have students in small groups all over the state. We need every room to be set up just the same and where you don't have to go figure out the seven buttons to push to make a video conference start up. And I had just read this article by Scott and I actually posted it to the a group as we were meeting and said, here's the ideal classroom. And it's just what Dr. Graham was describing. Um, and he said, I want you to do this to all of the classrooms. That's what you should be using your money on. And I pointed out that that is what we're doing. I said, you know, supply chain may be slowing us down a little bit, but what we have done kind of along this line 
is we've gone to what we're calling inside the box design. We've got three designs that we put in classrooms. You know, we used to custom design classrooms for a certain professor or something like that. And everything was custom built, custom programmed. Well, when we got to looking at it, 80 to 90% of the rooms were the same. You know, they had, you know, there might be one extra piece or something that got used for a, you know, a semester or two and then no one used it again. So now we're building a simple classroom that meets almost everybody's needs almost all the time, as few buttons as possible on the touchscreen, taking the touchscreen off the lecture, putting it on the wall so they got a place to set down their laptop or their notes and make it where they don't have to push buttons to have a class. They can walk in, they do hit the start button and hopefully it'll push the stop button to turn off the lamps when they're walking out, except now we've got laser. So that's not even an issue. <laughs> uh, but trying to design it uh, simple and the same. So it doesn't matter which room you walk in. And, you know, we have multiple campuses now and we're using the same design on every campus. So if an instructor visits one of the other campuses, so the students see him live as opposed to uh, on the screen, he doesn't have to figure out how to make it work. And I think that's a big part of the ideal, uh, making every room as interactive as possible and making it, we, a couple of the rooms that we have put in, we are now making them into uh, where they can become active learning centers. You know, they're good for team-based learning and group discussions uh, and connecting to another room just like it somewhere else so we can grow the room as necessary. I like the uh, the point that Scott brought up about um, the active learning classrooms and are they really being used as active learning classrooms? And uh, we have a few of them and I would say probably majority of the time they are not used as active learning classrooms, but it'll be, it. hopefully as, as we go on and ever in instructors adjust their way of teaching it'll become used more for what it was designed for our active learning classrooms are at a premium because we have very few right now that'll hold you know a full-size class of 170 to 200 students uh in small groups so if someone finds out that an instructor is giving a lecture in that room they're kicked out of the room they're put in a lecture hall and the room is made available for someone who needs it for team-based learning. You know, it's interesting because the both point that you brought up, and Scott, that's a great article. I mean, you know, ease of use, um, Ernie, absolutely. You know, keep uniformity so that an instructor doesn't have to guess what's going in. And, and then you sort of get into that, I'm not going to say the fantasy realm, where, you know, okay, you walk in, the room turns on, sets things up, but then, like, in certain situations, and I'm just throwing it out there, like, if it could work perfectly, obviously an instructor is saying, okay, project content to table four, or, you know, um, you know, turn on, say, uh, audience microphone or something really simple where the instructor could just acoustically just say what needs to be done. They don't have to think about it, and, and it comes on. I'm just saying that's, you know, fantasy realm. But again, like you said, ease of use, make it simple. The instructor comes in and the last thing they want to worry about is technology and, and ease of use. And like you said, just across the board, they walk into one room, they know it's similar to another room. So, I mean, Scott, this article was great. 
the I same. I think one of the the, okay. the struggles we see actually that that ties into this, and I think everybody deals with the same issue, is that it, these even what we're discussing is possible today are they're expensive rooms, and we are dealing with budget issues right now that say we've got. 75 rooms, 10 of them are now active learning classrooms. And oh, by the way, those active learning classrooms cost about the same as like six or seven other classrooms. And so our maintenance and repair budgets need to, to climb drastically. And it's tough in an environment where we're all trying to keep tuition under control. Um, and so that is a, another kind of uh, budget piece that we have to keep in mind or think of other areas like the cloud maybe to to save some money exactly you know to go into virtual processors and uh as much cloud-based as we can or at least centrally based where you know we're not having to have every piece of hardware in every room yes i we haven't figured out how to make a virtual microphone or display yet uh but the pieces in between you know and we're running everything you know over uh structured cabling uh, makes makes life a lot easier where we're not pulling 17 different cables between point A and point B uh, to get all the different types of signals. Uh, so we're using, that's one way that we're cutting down the budgets. And uh, to a point Rob was making, I've probably said this on this meeting, on this uh, podcast before, but uh, we don't, you know, our job is to make sure that the students are thinking about what they're going to learn. And the instructor's thinking about what they're going to teach. They're not thinking about, is there still a buzz? Has the battery been replaced? Which button do I push to get it going? We don't want that. We want them to walk in and teach and the students to learn. That That's our goal. Is Our goal is to be invisible. You know, uh, the, not see the technology, just part of the environment. Uh, what, I, what I tell my staff is, you know, when these students get through, they're going to be your healthcare providers. Do you want them to have missed that one lecture they needed to keep you alive? It's funny, right? Because I, I think when we think about this, which one of the things you just said, right, is they haven't made virtual microphones or speakers yet. And they haven't. And yet, if you think about a lot of classrooms, um, every student's carrying around a microphone and a speaker with them all the time. And so how do we interface into those things to start using them? Now, I'm nowhere near smart enough to engineer that. There are tools out there to do that now, Scott. Uh, Biamp's got uh, some that they're using, and we've got a uh, small version of it here that we're kind of playing with. But uh, and at the same time, they've got screens with them as well. You know, they've got their mm-hmm. laptops or their tablets or a large iPhone. So, may, you know, we may be to the point where they're supposed to be looking at their laptop. They're seeing the presentation the instructor's giving, and we're feeding it all wirelessly to them. I mean, I I see that definitely in the in our near future. You know, I remember I was part of a group back in uh, 2002 uh, that uh, Avixa, now Infocom, I think then it was ICIA. Uh, I've been with them through several name changes. Uh, they had us in for... Uh, a week-long, had technology managers in for a week-long discussion about the future of AV. And we some of the things we joked about are in our classrooms every day. You know, the one that comes to me is uh, we said someday someone's going to put a projection screen on the network and couldn't figure that one out. 
Well, you know, <laughs> I can now look and see if a screen's up or down from my laptop <laughs> in, in any classroom. So it, it yeah. happened. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, we, um, <clears throat> I think we could see that where we're using the, like you were saying, use, use the student's devices and the instructor's device, and we just have some way to bring the two together. Absolutely. We have uh, been chatting for a while here, and this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, are there any last thoughts before we uh, call it a day? Just that Ernie and I and, and everybody here, we're going to trademark that idea. If anybody wants to steal it, we, we want some royalties off of it. <laughs> well, all right, gang. It's uh, It's been awesome, and I hope that you all have taken a little bit of something away from our conversations today. So um, I will uh, see everybody out here. Uh, Ernie, can you tell everybody how to get in touch with you if they want to reach out? If they want to reach out, probably LinkedIn is the best way to do that. And Rob, how about you? Uh, what he said, LinkedIn, definitely Rob Ransford and LinkedIn. And how about you, Scott? I can find me on, on LinkedIn as well. I'm also on, on Twitter at S Tyner. Um, and uh, write for Rave Pubs on occasion. And as for myself, you can find me on LinkedIn and also on Twitter at smearin underscore off underscore ice. It's been another awesome episode, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs>